Hello, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast brought to you by the online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program at the University of Maryland. I'm very excited. We have two guests today who are no strangers to our podcast series. This is a return command performance. I'm excited to reintroduce Arlen Gaines, MSW, LCSWC, wow, alphabet soup. Uh, she's a clinical manager with Jessa Hospice in Bethesda, Maryland, where she's worked for the past 13 years. From her years in the field as a hospice social worker, she developed a specialization in supporting children and adults with special needs around grief and loss. And partnering her is her writing partner, Meredith Polsky, also LMSW, MS in Special Education, who's been working at the intersection of social work and special education for close to 20 years. She founded Matan Inc. in 2000, recognizing a significant gap in the Jewish community's ability to include children with special needs and their families. Ladies, welcome. It's, a, it's delightful to have you back. How are you both today? We're doing great. Thanks so much, Lynn, for having us back. Absolutely. Thank you. We're thrilled to be back with you. Awesome. So I see you ladies have been up to no good and you've been cranking out books like nobody's business since we last spoke. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. Yes, but you're doing an amazing job. So it's been four years. You were one of our first podcasts that we recorded. And as I think I was just sharing, we're almost to 50 now. So this is pretty exciting stuff. So can you bring everybody back up to speed about, you know, what you're doing and where have you been and what's the scoop? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, thanks so much for having us. I, I can't believe, I think it's been about four years since mm -hmm. we were last together. So what a, what a treat to be able to chat together today. So um, yeah, so this is Arlen speaking now. And um, I was a field hospice social worker for many years. I've moved now into a manager role. Um, and I've always had a real interest in children's um, coping with death and grief and how they've been doing. And I noticed a trend over the years when I was out in the field that many of my patients had an adult child or a grandchild at home with special needs and families were really struggling with how do I support them? What are the resources that are appropriate to support them around death and dying? And, you know, I really came to understand that many of the books on this subject use animals as the main character or metaphors that were very beautiful, but quite out of reach for kids who might think in a more concrete manner. You think about how we often talk about death, you know, beautiful images like someone might, after their death, they live all around us and in our hearts, beautiful concepts, but can be very confusing for children who really need some more concrete facts and, and don't think so abstractly. So I had a dream of writing a book, really writing, it turned out to be the first book um, on death and dying that was really geared toward children with autism spectrum disorder or other special needs. Um, and I felt like I could bring the expertise of the grief, of the grief piece, but I really needed a partner. And so I turned to Meredith, who I had known for many years, and she um, has expertise in the field of special education. And lucky for me, she said yes. Mm -hmm. Meredith, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, again, thank you so much for having us and congratulations on your um, long and successful uh, podcast run here. Thank you. I was really excited when Arlen came to me originally. It wasn't something I had ever necessarily dreamed of or thought of, um, specifically writing a book about death and dying for children with um, different needs or, or neurotypical children 
or or sorry, children who weren't neurotypical. Um, but when she talked to me about it, it really made a lot of sense. And I looked back on my own experience with, you know, children and families and I realized, you know, just how right she was that so many of the metaphors that we use with children around death are just not accessible. Um, and in my work, you know, that's, I try to um, really aim to make everything as accessible as possible. Um, and, you know, you may, you may be getting to this, but Arlen alluded to it. Uh, when we, uh, when we got the uh, draft book cover of I Have a Question About Death, um, anybody who, who might have it or look it up, it's kind of like, I have a question and then in a bubble, it says death. And I think it was my husband, maybe Arlen's husband too, who said, well, that looks like a series. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, we we started hearing from people, you know, once they once they read the book about death, they started asking, is this part of a series? Are you going to write other topics? And people started writing in with the topics that they wished that we would um, address um, other challenging topics that they have found in their dealings with their children, truth be told, with or without special needs. I always say special education is just really good education. Absolutely. So, when we can get it right for kids with special needs, uh, we're doing a service really for all kids. And the the topics, I mean, we have a long list at this point, but um, two of the topics that kept coming up over and over again that families were grappling with were divorce and cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are the two that we went on to write next, about one a year, uh, as you sort of alluded to in your introduction. Um, first, I have a question about divorce, and then I have a question about cancer. And then, of course, when this pandemic started, um, you know, Arlen and I kind of put our heads together to create, I have a question about coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Well, before we explore that, I do have a question. You very kindly shared a copy of, I have a question about cancer with me. And thank you for sharing that with me. I've enjoyed very much reading both of the books that I have that you, you personally shared with me. And I understand they're doing quite well on Amazon. They're like uh, pretty high up there, right? In the in this category, which category does, does this fall into? So we typically there. So we're, we're not going to pretend to understand the inner workings of Amazon. It, it feels like a bit of a mystery to us. Uh, and I think it falls in different categories. Um, sometimes children and illness, um, things like that. Um, and yeah, they've done, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to say, oh, they've done so well. You know, when we talk about our books, it's kind of like, hey, it's not like the most uplifting topic. And unfortunately, over the past year, you know, I have a question about death has, do has done, quote unquote, particularly well. Um, but it's hard to necessarily be, be happy about that. But um, I think we've, we've, we've hit a need. I think we've filled a gap. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully, you know, it's it's serving an important role for um, children and families who are in, you know, just really difficult situations. Absolutely. I, you know, I have that in my section of my personal library right next to dog heaven. I know that's might be not a fair analogy, but uh, boy, when you need it, you need it. You, you just really need it. When I have a friend whose pets died, I say, you need dog heaven or cat heaven. And your books are lovely. The one question I have is I'm so intrigued by your book within a book idea. What's with the short book within the book? Could you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, you know, absolutely. We we set out to write these books, as we mentioned, to really be inclusive of children with special needs. And we came to see over the years that all children were really responding well to these books. And 
one of the things that has worked particularly well is that we first tell a story and we use very simple um, images, very simple pictures, um, not gender specific, not person specific. So it really can work for anyone. And then we retell the story with what we call a short picture story. Mm -hmm. And that's incredibly effective for children who might, um, might process information with less words and do better with visual images. Um, and for some children who are maybe early readers and who don't know how to read so much yet, and they respond better to just the really, really simple pictures and a few words. So it's been kind of part of our secret sauce, I think, to have a uh, sort of a book within a book. And um, it's just, we found it really effective for different learners. Yeah, well, I, I can say from looking at it, the book is very visually appealing and very attractive. I can see why a child would really enjoy it. So let's get back to this idea about a book on coronavirus. There's some edge of the seat stuff. So tell me about that. And how is this related to your prior work? Yeah, absolutely. So when the pandemic first began, I mean, in a way, it feels like a million years ago. Um, but, you know, last March when schools closed for a couple of weeks, you know, here in Maryland, um, and I was, you know, like everybody, I think Arlen and I were re feeling really overwhelmed about what was going on in the world, what this meant for people, what this meant for children in particular. Um, we both have children of our own. They have friends. So we, we kind of heard like what they were talking about, what they were asking about. We noticed that there was this whole new vocabulary in our world, right? First of all, pandemic quarantining. I remember the first time my 14 year old said was texting and she's mom, how do you spell quarantine? <laughs> you know, um, social distancing, physical distancing, all these things. And um, I called Arlen and I said, I feel like we need to do something, you know, like, is there anything we can put out into the world? I was writing some um, simple short picture stories um, for younger kids, just about school being closed and managing those transitions. And it kind of dawned on us, like, wait a minute, we have this whole like template basically um, for talking to children about difficult things. And one of the things we, we recognized was that this wasn't something that anybody had ever encountered before, basically, right? So whereas there were other books on death, other books on divorce, and we were, we were filling a need that we felt for um, diverse learners, coronavirus was really new to everybody and every it sort of leveled the playing field in a lot of ways right like everybody had so many of the same questions ourselves included um but it takes about a year from start to finish at least it has for our books um from the time you know sort of like pen to paper until it you know leaves the the printer um and especially for a book like ours that's hardcover and in color um, and of course we, we knew, well, it turned out we sort of did have a year, but, um, as quickly as we could, um, and we also didn't want, um, you know, any perception of really like profiting in any way off of pandemic. And so we reached out to our publisher and we said, Hey, you know, would it be okay with you if we wrote this book and just put it out online, you know, as a free download. Uh, you can put it on your website. We'll put it on our website. We'll, we'll try to spread the word. Um, and we were really fortunate that they were fine with that. Um, they're actually based out in London and, you know, they were, they were appreciative of the idea. They were, they were okay with it. 
And so Arlen and I just got to work really quickly um, based on the questions that we were hearing um, from our children, from their friends. We didn't do quite as much research, you know, as, as we've done for the other books. Um, but it felt important to get something out there to get families talking and to help children navigate um, this really new experience. So that's sort of how that came to be. Um, you know, our kids helped us with like the editing of the, you know, online formatting and things like that. And uh, we were able to get it up really quickly. That's amazing. That's a tremendous public service. And I'm sure that's beneficial to way more than just special needs children. I mean, I think we're all special needs children during a pandemic. So don't keep us in suspense. What's the what's the website? <laughs> so our website is I have a question dot com. OK, I and have a question book dot com. OK, yeah. that's great. Right. Yep. And right when you get to our home page, you'll see I have a question about coronavirus. Um, interestingly, you'll see it in a few different languages, um, English, of course, and then uh, Spanish and Greek, believe it or not. Um, and this is really through the kindness of strangers who reached out to us and said, this would really benefit my community. Can I take a crack at translating it? Um, and so they worked with us. I mean, it's it's no simple task to translate a book. Um, and they worked with us to make sure um, you know, they were getting it right. They were in line with what we, you know, had envisioned. Um, some things are not quite, you know, exactly translatable. So they ran those things by us. Um, a lot of it is, you know, our own trust. We don't, you know, we don't know much any Greek or Spanish, um, but we think they did a great job and we really appreciate being able to offer those on the site as well. That's wonderful. Well, let's get back to the pandemic itself. Can you tell us a little bit more about grief and loss in the pandemic? I know I'm very happy hiding under my desk. I'm best friends with all the dust bunnies. So what do you think? What's the impact on patients and families uh, with or without special needs uh, people involved? What are your thoughts? Well, this I so appreciate this question, Lynn. I just think we can't talk about this pandemic without talking about grief. And, you know, of course, we have so sadly um, lost the lives of so many people due to COVID. Um, it was so interesting back in February when we hit the very unfortunate milestone of 500,000 deaths. The National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization put out a really interesting press release saying that for every person who's died, there are nine people grieving. Now I might argue there are a lot more, but this was um, what they suggested. And when you add that up, that means 4,500,000 families and friends grieving just from the people who've died of this disease. So, so much loss, but there are so many secondary losses. And this is what we also see greatly impacting families, children, you know, think about even our change in routine, the loss of familiar routine that can be so comforting to all of us. If we, it's hard to think back this far now, but think back to lat, you know, over a year ago to February, what was your day like? How did your morning begin? Maybe you packed your lunch, maybe you went to work, kids went to school, you know, think about all that has been lost over that time. It's almost unfathomable, the change and loss in routine, the loss of in-person interactions, not being able to see your teacher and your friends, the loss of touch, not being able to hug a grandparent. Um, for many families, loss of income, which has impacted ability to have enough food, 
Um, so there is just so, so much secondary loss in addition to, of course, the many people who've died during this time. Yeah, <clears throat> my husband likes to watch MSNBC while we have dinner. And it's usually during the five to six o'clock hour and they always end with um, a life well lived. And they tell a story about someone who died of COVID. So I pretty much cry through every dinner that we have now. And I remember the, how profoundly sad I was at the holidays. I mean, Christmas by Zoom. I mean, what's that all about? It, and Thanksgiving by Zoom. It was just horrible. So I, I can imagine. Um, so what are some of the social and emotional impacts on children? I mean, I'm supposed to be a fully functioning adult, which some days I question, I have to tell you. How about being a child? Yeah, I mean, I think children have been incredibly resilient over the past year. I think we we owe them a lot of of thanks and um, and appreciation for just how they have managed to even do as well as they have over the past year. It is not easy. We know many many kids are struggling in so many different ways. I think one of the really difficult things right now, even as there's a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, right? And here in Maryland, some kids are, you know, finally returning back to school and all over the country, there have been different phases of, of going back to school. But one of the things uh, that really strikes me is we often talk about how children thrive on routine and knowing what to expect. And this past year has really been the opposite of that. Right. So we know that, you know, separate from a pandemic, we know that none of this is good for children, right? Not knowing what to expect, not having their sense of routine. And as children go back to school, I think in many ways they've felt that even more acutely because we hear stories all the time where, you know, a child wakes up one day and thinks they're going to school, but somebody tested positive and now the class is quarantining for two weeks and now, you know, it's online and tomorrow it's going to be this. And so, Children all over the country are really waking up each morning not knowing what their day is going to look like. And I think that has a profound effect on, on their ability to, um, you know, just handle day-to-day -day things and be able to cope with, you know, everyday transitions that we might expect them to be fine with, you know, like simple transitions throughout the day. But these bigger things are, are really having an impact on them and their their ability to really, um, you know, cope as well as um, they're usually able to. Well, you know, I, I know as an adult, and I guess I should be uh, more mature, <laughs> but when I think about, you know, going back to life the way it was, I have to tell you, I'm a little trepidatious about that, even though I've had both vaccinations. So as my husband, we live in a county where it's a very low rate, but still, it, I'm really kind of nervous about doing that. So I'm sure that's got to be just as bad for a child. Would you yeah, agree? I would. I think it's a combination for children, for all of us, maybe. I think it's a combination of the health concern, right? We've practiced over the past year plus being really worried about our health and the health of those around us and how we impact each other. But I think there's a, another thing going on now that we've also all had a lot of practice being alone, right? We've had um, a lack of practice with social skills and social interactions. And I think even those of us for whom that comes more naturally, being out of practice is being out of practice, right? And for children or adults for whom that doesn't come as naturally, 
Well, all the more so, um, you know, it's it's very difficult to, to spend a year like this and not practice those skills um, on a daily basis. And so I think there's the very real fear about, um, you know, health and illness. And then I think there's a very real anxiety around just being out in the world, being around people, interacting, you know, in the ways that we were previously expected to. It's even silly things like I don't think I have spent a dollar bill out of my wallet since last March. I mean, everything <laughs> I buy is online and it's all by credit card. I don't think I've driven 10 times in the past year because I don't really have to go anywhere. So what suggestions do you ladies have for parents and caregivers to support children during difficult times like this, such as a pandemic? What do you think? Well, it's a great question. And I think it really starts with communication and taking into account the child's developmental stage, where they are at, and really kind of tailoring your presence with them in that way. So we know it can be really, really daunting for adults to be talking about these difficult topics, whether it's death, whether it's a loved one with cancer, whether it's a pandemic. I mean, this is just, these are not easy topics for adults, but what we have found is that it can be scarier, scarier and almost more anxiety provoking for children to sense that there are changes going on, but not to be told explicitly. Mm -hmm. So finding ways to use clear, honest language, whether it's about the pandemic or any difficult topic and parceling out information as they can take it just a little bit at a time, knowing that you'll need to circle back this is not a one-time conversation where we just present something, that these are continuing conversations. Um, so that's one thing that can be helpful. And then really addressing concerns. You know, children, um, it's quite normal that they might worry that someone they love might die or that someone might get sick and really addressing those concerns and validating them. And in general, just realizing that there are many questions that we have answers for and there are some questions that we don't, and that is okay too. Just really acknowledging and validating. So focusing on ways that um, children can feel healthy or you know, for the pandemic, what are ways that they're staying healthy and contributing to um, helping out during this time, whether they're wearing their mask or washing their hands, these kinds of things. So we find that can help um, decrease some of the anxiety. Yeah, I would imagine that if a child observes one of their parents being upset about something, that could be very disconcerting if they don't understand the backstory. I remember when I was about 12, my mother was making dinner and she was crying. And I said, what's, what's the scoop? And she said, oh, they found a spot on your grandfather's kidney. And she was so upset. I didn't want to push that anymore. But I remember thinking, what does that mean? What does that mean exactly? Does that mean he's going to die? Should I ask her? Should I let this go? And I, I mean, if she had just explained it to me, I think I would have felt a lot better, even if it was not great news, for example. So was my impression correct? What do you think? Yeah. And that's such an interesting example because all these years later, you remember it, yeah. right? It's sort of this pivotal moment. And I think, you know, I think you've like really hit the nail right on the head. And one of the things Arlen and I always talk about is that when we can help families lay a foundation for talking about difficult things, right? Whether it's because of death, whether it's because of the coronavirus, whatever the case may be, it's not like this isolated incident, right? Like, okay, we talked about that one hard thing and like, 
it only applies to this one hard thing. No, you're really laying a foundation for that child to be able to deal with other hard things, other transitions as they grow and develop. So I think you're, I think you're exactly right. How we address these things with our children um, can have a really significant impact. And like Arlen was saying, and like you're saying, Lynn, in the moment, you, you're almost more, you're more worried, you're more anxious because you have all these questions in your head now that you feel like you either can't ask or don't want to ask, or, you know, I think of the word spot, right? Like to a child, like, what is a spot? Mm -hmm. Like, don't we all have spots, you know? And like, that would, that would, um, you know, be cause for more concern. And so, it's really hard to have these conversations, right? It's why we've written these books. It's because we don't expect parents to just have, you know, all the answers in their back pocket. We certainly didn't have all the answers in our back pockets. Um, but really thinking it through and thinking about how we can um, help make those conversations, um, you know, a little bit easier to have doesn't make them easy. We're not trying to sugarcoat things as you've seen in our books, we're very direct. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, to help guide and facilitate those discussions, we think are really important. It almost sounds like you've developed a process where parents can help children develop emotional critical thinking skills, which is so important. So I would imagine that these strategies you're talking about would be useful in all sorts of challenging times. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Arlen mentioned a, a couple of different things about communication. I would also say you talked about um, our short picture story, our book within a book, as you said at the beginning. And visual cues are something that, you know, I recommend all the time for, for parents and children. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, right? It could be stick figures. It could be um, home photographs, whatever it is. And it doesn't necessarily mean that um, a child has too much trouble processing information, you know, orally, but it's another way for them to gather information. It's something for them to refer back to. It's a touch point. It's something they can see and, you know, again, just process in a different way. Uh, so we find that to be really, really useful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even it's, if it's visuals around, you know, the, the possibility that they're going to wake up and their day is going to be different, you know, things like that or, or whatever the challenge might be. And the other thing we think about a lot, as you said, in dealing with all kinds of difficult things um, is the, to think about the people who have been supportive of the child, you know, throughout their life. So when we think about children with special needs, you know, they might have a speech therapist, they might have an occupational therapist. Um, any child might have, you know, a psychologist or a social worker that they um, work with or a school counselor that they like to visit, you know, during the school day. And so we don't want parents to feel that they're in this by themselves, right? We want them to really utilize that team that they um, have developed for their child and, and think about having, you know, everybody on the same page, um, helping to deliver, you know, various messages um, and, and helping to understand what might be going on for a child during a difficult time. So really remembering that, um, you know, you're not, you're not in this alone, um, and, you know, in the in the best of circumstances, you have a real a real support network. I know not everybody has that, but to think about who is in that network for you and your family. Great points. So can I put in a request for the next bestseller? How about I have a question about social justice or diversity, inclusion, equity? Oh, my goodness. We have so many social issues right now, don't we? We sure oh, do. We have so much work to do. Um, it's such an important topic. Absolutely. 
Well, ladies, I'm, I'm so excited with what you've been accomplishing. And thank you so much for your gift to the universe with your book when I have a question about uh, coronavirus. And again, that website is IHaveAQuestionBook.com. And I'm sure everybody who's listening will go home immediately and download it. Uh, any last comments you'd like to share with our listeners before we sign off? Oh, just thank you so much, Lynn. We've, we've really appreciated your support um, and just such a pleasure to be here and, and talk with you on these topics. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for having us. For sure. Well, thank you so much for your hard work. And again, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and this presentation is copyrighted 2021, University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program in Palliative Care and pending approval from the Maryland Higher Education Commission, our brand new online PhD in Palliative Care coming this fall, or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.edu forward slash palliative. Thank you.